So, this is what you want me to tell them? The people, your people who have lived in dark exile all these many years with their, their backs up against some Babylonian wall. It was one thing when you had me tell the king that a, a virgin would give birth. Go back to sleep, my dear. I'm talking to God. Is he listening? Uh, what do you mean, is he listening? Well, are you listening to him? You see what I mean, Lord? Even my own wife questions me. Now, you are God Almighty. You do what you want to do. But you want me to tell the people that Messiah is going to be just uh, some plain fellow like one of us? That he's going to suffer? He's going to die? Why not Moses to lead us out of exile? Or, uh, or King David, the mighty warrior, not some tiny li little... Uh, where is the oil for the lamp? It's where it always is. Uh, ah! This is what I'm talking about, Lord. We are a people in darkness, stumbling around, stubbing our toe on the sin of the world. Uh, we need... A mighty rescuer. We need, uh, we need a savior, not some tiny little. Ah, such a tiny flame, and the whole room is filled with light. I am a man of unclean lips. Forgive me, Lord. I will tell them what you have shown me, even if I don't understand it. I will trust you, good Lord, in your own good time to, to bring us uh, Emmanuel to bring us light and hope. Yeah. Light and hope. I'm coming back to bed. Welcome to Crosspoint. We're here to celebrate the coming of the King. Our focus will be on the manger, the event that shouted God's love and gives hope and light for the future. Let's pray. 
Father, we bow our heads in reverence. We recognize that you are God. And you are our authority. Lord, there's so many things as we open up your word that confuse us at times. We don't understand some of your ways. We don't understand some of your plans. God, we ask that your spirit would teach us today. We ask that as we begin a season, a time where we anticipate your greatest expression of love. When you sent your son to be part of us so that someday we might, well, be restored. We might have a brand new relationship. Lord, we ask that you would Encourage us this morning that in spite of all the years and all the Christmases and all the, well, stuff, we might be able to once again see how special, how wonderful, how amazing you are. So teach us this day, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope is on the horizon is one of the themes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. God spoke through prophets so mankind would know and understand God's heart. At that time, God's word wasn't totally available. And so because God loved and God desired for each of us to totally understand his ways, his heart, he sent prophets. Isaiah's prophecies extended from 739 to 681 B.C., basically to the people of God who primarily were living in Jerusalem. In this slice of history the Israelite people find themselves living in dark times. Well, they were being judged because they had broken their covenant with God and pursued idolatrous and rebellious lives leading to sin. In our culture, that seems a little archaic. But what we find is that listening to God, actually listening and obeying God, is life-giving. God judged Israel and allowed Assyria and then Babylon to lead his people into exile. You know, we're more familiar today with refugees, refugees rather than exiles. Refugees and exiles long to be rescued and deeply desire to go back home to remember and to live life the way it used to be. Refugees, though, as we can see, take whatever possessions they can hold and carry, and they run just for safety somewhere. Exiled people, well, they're also displaced. 
but they move and they live at their captor's discretion. If there is a worse, being exiled gets the prize. Hope seems to keep both refugees and exiles alive, though, as they wait. They hope for a Savior to be rescued. Someone who will come and rescue them from, well, the things that bind them. And restrict them. You know, many today are hoping for a Savior to be rescued. Someone who will rescue them from the rat race. Rescue them from life's crazy schedule. Someone perhaps to rescue them from the futility of life. Is there more meaning to life than just getting up every day and going to work and coming home? Maybe people are looking for relief from their depression and their discouragement. Maybe it's their debt, just hoping that maybe their debt would be eliminated and life would be so different. If I just had a rich uncle... Or if mom or dad would lend me a little bit more money to get out of the jam I'm in. Maybe you want to get rescued from vocation. A job that feels like it's, well, not leading anywhere. Maybe you want to be rescued from a ministry. You've been serving, and it's become more of drudgery rather than joy. Maybe it's a sickness you've been dealing with, and you're hoping for good doctor's reports, but they just don't seem to come. And you may just have to live with your situation or the environment you're in. Oh, if I could get out of the environment, if I could get out of that family, if I could get out of that neighborhood, if I could get... I know life would be different if I could just escape or or maybe it's a relationship or a lack of relationship. If I just didn't have that girlfriend, that wife, that husband, or I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that special one. And so oftentimes, we act and feel like exiles. We're looking to be rescued. Our situation may not seem as desperate or extreme as the Israelites in captivity as they were exiled, but we still want to be rescued. Ultimately, we're longing for a world that's just and fair. Maybe a world that has no pain in it. A place where people are loving and kind and community is giving. A spot where you belong and are fulfilled. A spot where you make a difference. 
whether living 700 years before the birth of Jesus or 21 centuries after his first advent, people experiencing the effects of exile, they need hope. Isaiah's name means salvation of Yahweh or God brings salvation. Now, the prophet's name even gave a little bit of hope to the exiles. But the Jews had long awaited for this Messiah, for, well, this king who would arrive and he would give us everything we needed. We would never worry about food. We would be protected. It would be an unbelievable environment. When would this Messiah come? We've been told about the Messiah, but we go through relentless exile and pain day after day after day. When is God's anointed one, the Savior of Israel and all of mankind going to arrive? In the midst of a dark time, Isaiah shares hope, but it's hope that's not going to be realized for 700 years. For the most part, Isaiah's prophecy seemed odd and didn't make sense. Let's read some of the texts. If you have your Bible, we are going to be spending most of our time in Isaiah. We will be putting the verses up on the flat or, or up on the screen. And I want to apologize ahead of time. Some of the print's going to be small, but literally, I'm hoping to put all the text that I read on one slide. So you can check your flat screens or Bibles and follow along. But I'm going to start off in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah writes. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. God is with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and verses 6 and 7, Isaiah writes this from God. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace, it'll never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Oh, it's got the Jews going. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3, darkness is black as night, covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come and see your radiance. 
All this written 700 years before Jesus was born in a manger. Hope arrived. Well, just not as fast. His name was called Jesus, which means God saves. So the coming of the Messiah surprised the Hebrews and really surprised Joseph, even though they had Isaiah's prophecy. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 20. And what I want to share with you is this, is Joseph found out about Mary's pregnancy. I got to believe Mary was forthright with him. It seemed really, really odd, so odd. He couldn't even imagine this. He had loved Mary dearly. He needed some convincing. And this is where we pick up. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 20. After considering this, literally breaking off the engagement and the marriage. That's what Joseph is thinking. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they shall call him or will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Who would have thought the Messiah would arrive in this fashion? The God-man born in a barn to a poor peasant virgin. This was the long-awaited Messiah, the Messiah that we have heard about for centuries, the one who was going to come and deliver us from evil and power, bring God's kingdom with great power and authority. This is the king? I mean, seriously, Born of a virgin. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit brought this about? How does it all work? Come on. A barn? Are you serious, God? I mean, Joseph was an amazing guy. But I'm sure after Mary told them, this is all swirling around in his head. Even with all of the scriptures. Okay, if this is true. King Jesus. I mean, look at the poor parents you've given them. 
I mean, seriously, God, really, this is way beyond anything. And yet, God shouted from the manger. He didn't come in some special palace where he couldn't relate with us. He had parents who were quite normal and they had to depend upon God, well, daily for their bread. They had walked with God for a long time and embraced this crazy notion that I would be parents, or we, to the Son of God. Now, I know we've heard this before, and I know some of us have embraced it, maybe all of us, not getting it. But if we go back to a 13 or 14-year-old lady named Mary, and maybe an 18 or a 19-year-old Joseph, (laughs) their lives would be so different. No one's going to believe them. Our parents are not even going to believe us. You're only going to marry me because you just don't want me to get stoned. Ah, No. This was God's plan. And he needed somebody who was going to grow up without a sin nature, who would be so perfect, who would be God. Because Jesus came to be our sacrifice for sin. Well, once Jesus came, and that was surprising enough, but this continued. How would the king respond? What does the kingdom look like? How is it that God ushers in the kingdom in this fashion? Well, Isaiah also prophesied what Christ's ministry, what this coming of the kingdom would be 700 years before, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And he writes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And he sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. That's what they were looking for. But what they missed, this wasn't a political savior. It wasn't, again, someone who would come with great power and authority and rule in the normal way. Jesus would bring good news. Those who struggle to those who are poor, to those who are, well, under the shackles of sin. And he wants to give life abundant and eventually eternal when you shut your eyes. Oh, you don't have to be captive anymore. It was a great message, but a misunderstood message. The humble Jesus was light 
And he said it often, especially in John chapter 8, where he was so blunt. I am the light of the world. I came into a dark place to illuminate, to show people the way. And he did this by bringing good news. But the loving, sinless Son of God defeated the enemy by going to the cross. Again, blows our mind. We don't get this. Lord, couldn't it have been just a simple axe to the head or something, you know, like guillotine? Why? Why would you have to suffer? Why would you have to bleed? Well, Isaiah described this 700 years before. He shared what would happen. And I've asked Erica Dawson to read for us from parts of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Listen to what Isaiah says. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Again, I I read this. I try to put myself in the Jews' place of looking for a redeemer, for the Savior, and then reading about this. This is not how a king is to be treated. This is not how it's supposed to end in all of my fairy tales. 
What was God thinking? Could it happen like this? But God's plan was perfect. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to pay the debt of man's rebellion. Your rebellion, my rebellion, all of mankind's rebellion. He came to save sinners, to restore the relationship between God and man that Adam and Eve broke, whoa, way in the beginning. Where God set it up quite well. I've made man and woman, and I've put them in a perfect environment, and we will enjoy each other's presence. But even then, there's this part of us that think we know what's best. I'm really sure it was only moments after they ate the fruit that they realized, whoa, this was not a good thing. (laughs) I'm missing out. Because actually none of us experienced paradise, right? They did. They said, oh, I I just thought maybe I'd listen to the enemy and, and maybe I'd just get a little smarter or I'd be a little bit more like God or I'd be, well, whatever it was, whoa, it came down crashing. And from that moment on, we've been scurrying, we've been struggling. And for those that leave God out of their lives, they continue. But God said, I'm going to send my son. He's going to go to a manger. He is going to eventually grow up. And he will, well, show people what kind of a God I'm at. He will treat people with love and kindness. And ultimately, he will die on the cross to pay your sin and my sin, the debt. That's where we see God's great love. It's in a manger for him choosing to leave paradise to come here. This is the gospel. And this is the good news for all exiles. Not just one. Not just really the bad sinners, but for all of us. Because we're all exiles. In John 3, verse 16, God says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. God made a way so that you and I, we both, all of us, could live abundantly. That there's a reason to get up right here while you're on the planet. As you're salt and light, as you represent God, as you become His hands and His feet in this world, as you point people to the bread of life and to the light of the world, How wonderful. What a great assignment. Assignment that none of us deserve. But Jesus modeled for us how much love means sacrifice. And eventually, all those that put their faith in Christ, when they shut their eyes on this planet, 
What the scriptures say, it's just like, well, a fog. If some of you were up early enough, especially hunting deer or something like that, I am sure, I am sure the fog kind of messed up your plans. But it finally dissipated. And that's what the scriptures call life. We're here, but for such a short time. And as soon as we shut our eyes, those who are part of God's family for eternity, we spend with our God, free from the presence of sin. None of us have ever experienced that. We don't understand what that looks like. But that's what's going to happen because Jesus came, was born in a barn, and spread his arms on a cross. Interesting. Some 700 years after the birth of Jesus, during the time known as the Dark Ages, monks were chanting a song about Emmanuel. That hymn would someday be known as, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And some have even said, perhaps the greatest of all Christian hymns. You see, looking back in history helps us understand why the Jews greatly anticipated the coming of the Messiah. History helps us understand why God sent the Savior of the world rather than someone to temporarily release the Jews from the shackles of Rome. And history helps us understand whether you've been alive on this planet for 12 years or 50 years or 70 years, why we cry out, O come, O come. Emmanuel. Let me pray. Father, we do cry out. We do know, Lord, that this life is not all that that we had hoped. We are disappointed. We are discouraged. And even in the best of times, God, Things aren't fair. Oh God, we need you. We need you in our lives. We need you to guide us. We need you to forgive us. We need your power. And Lord, we look forward to a time when we open our eyes and meet you face to face forever and ever and ever. Lord, it does seem like you are taking forever to come back. But the scriptures tell us that's only because you love us. And you want more and more to hear the unbelievable story that you loved us, sent your son to a manger so that he would eventually die in your place or in our place. Oh, come. O come, Emmanuel. Amen.